The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm chapter 44. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you, we push down our foes. Through your name, we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God, we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, that we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. It's great, it's great to be with you this morning. I just took a step outside and it's so nice out and there's just like this sweet aroma in the air. I don't know if it's the trees or the flowers out there or what, but beautiful out there, beautiful to be in here worshiping with you this morning, opening up God's word. My name is Mike Kresnick and I'm on staff here and I'll be preaching from Psalm 44. And when we read the Bible, there's a strange problem that we often encounter. It seems like God is opposed to his people. 
like he's working against their flourishing. This is one of the most perplexing aspects of biblical religion. In the ancient Near East, the job of a god or the gods was to give protection and to provide victory for their people. If a god wasn't doing this, he wasn't being a very good god. And yet, the Bible records moments when it seems like God is working against his own people. Psalm 44 is one of those moments. And I wonder if we feel the same thing today in the American church, when we see that since the early 90s, the 1990s, around 40 million people have been leaving the church. Between 2009 and 2019, the percentage of adults who identify as Christians has fallen from 77% to 65%, while adults who identify as atheist or agnostic or nothing in particular rose from 17% to 26%. And in 2019, 3,000 churches were planted, while 4,500 Protestant churches closed their doors. And in this time of decline, American Christianity looks more like placing hope in winning the next election or winning the next culture war than it does embracing humility and walking with Jesus. And if you are discouraged by any of these facts today, I want to show you from Psalm 44 that when it seems like God is working against his people, that we can actually be filled with hope and confidence. When it seems like God is working against his people, you can be filled with hope and confidence. And it's with great confidence this morning that I'm going to preach to you a five-point sermon. (laughs) I'm not going to try to hide five points in a three. I'm just going to be honest with you and, and give you five points. And so let me, let me go over where we're going to go to, uh, how we're going to do that and where we're going to go this morning. First, who is the us of Psalm 44? What happened to the us of Psalm 44? What were they asking God? How did God answer? And what does it mean for us? So open your Bibles to Psalm 44 if you haven't already, or page 440 of your pew Bible uh, underneath your seat. And let's look at who is the us of Psalm 44. Verse 1. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us. Who is this us? It's the people of Jacob, the people of Israel, in a specific time and place in history. This psalm, it's it's a communal psalm, unlike Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 that are written from the perspective of an individual, Psalm 44 is written from the perspective of the community of God's people, and it was most likely written around the time of the exile, around 700 BC. These people are living after the exodus, after the conquest of the land, and reflecting back on all the things that God has done for their forefathers. They grew up hearing the stories about Moses and the plagues in Egypt and the defeat of Pharaoh and his army at the Red Sea. They they heard about the disobedience and wanderings in the desert and yet God's faithfulness to give them 
manna and water and quail, even when they complained about it. They heard the stories about Joshua leading God's people into the land, defeating God's enemies. You get this, right? When you're sitting around with grandma and grandpa, you hear stories about the things that they endured over time. You hear about the great things that God did in your family. A number of years ago, Jenny, my wife, gave me this book of, uh, of our family history, and it shows like some of my family came over on the Mayflower. Most of my family came over on a boat through Ellis Island. Maybe you heard your grandparents tell stories about surviving the Great Depression or living through the World Wars. Maybe you heard about family members becoming Christians during the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s. Or even some of you younger folks here in the room who remember your mom and dad telling you about the beginnings of Coromdeo Church starting in a small building downtown Omaha or how your parents came to faith in gospel community. As we pause and think about this, what other things has God done in your story? What other good things where God has revealed his grace to you? What other things come to mind? I need help in this because I tend to be drawn to the more the, the darker, more melancholy things of life. And I was made aware of this unbalance in my soul a few years ago, and I was encouraged to discipline myself in acknowledging God's grace, to discipline myself in joy. And you know it must be bad when you have to schedule joy. We're going to have fun from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Tuesday night every week, and I'm going to set a recurring reminder so I don't forget. One of the ways in which I've had to discipline myself in this is during our weekly staff meetings here at the church on Tuesday mornings, we share evidences of God's grace, stories of God working through and in the lives of people. And in one sitting, I'll fill one to two, maybe three pages out of just story after story of the things that God has done. And it's fun to reflect back a year in the past and go, wow, God was doing that. And gosh, man, he's, he's done a lot since then. It's really fun to see. As a family, we recently took out a giant roll of craft paper in our living room. We just rolled it out. My wife's a teacher, so we just have stuff like that laying around all, all the time. And we, we, we made a, a timeline starting at the, the creation of the world through Israel's history, through the cross and the resurrection, and through our family's immigration into the United States, to my baptism and my wife's baptism, our marriage and our, the birth of our kids and their baptisms and, and so on and so forth, all the things that God has done. It's amazing to see all of that wrapped up, all of our lives wrapped up into God's story. That's exactly what God's people here are doing in the first few verses of Psalm 44. They're communally acknowledging that the salvation and deliverance that they've experienced was not something that their forefathers orchestrated, but rather it was what God was doing. It was God at work in the lives of his people. Look at verse 2 and, and 3 with me. You with your own hand, God with your own hand, you drove out the nations, but them, Israel, you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Like my wife looks at our yard and determines where the flowers and the bushes and the, and the plants are going to go, God determines the places and times in which his people live and dwell. Verse 4, 
You ordain salvation for Jacob. Verse 5, through you we push down our foes. Verse 7, you have saved us from our foes. So who is this us? This us is the people of Israel living toward the end of the Old Testament period, praising God for all that he's done. But as we move to point two, we must ask, what happened to the us of Psalm 44? Let's pick it up in verse nine. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our enemies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoiled. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. God's people have been rejected and disgraced by him. In verse 14, it says that they've become a, a byword, a, a laughingstock among the peoples. Verse 22 says that they are being killed as if sheep in the slaughterhouse. Notice the deep existential crisis God's people are having. All day long my disgrace is before me, verse 15 says. Shame has covered my face, verse 19. You have covered us in the shadow of death. This isn't abstract theology or uh, mere artistic emotion or hyperbolic expression. They are experiencing the effects of being handed over by God into the hands of their enemies. And I believe every generation has their own experience of this, their own experience of national or communal tragedies. I just turned 40 a few weeks ago, and I've spent a lot of time reflecting on 40 years of my life. Things that are good, things that are bad, things I'm happy about, things I'm lamenting. And a lot of the memories that, that, that were stirred up were these memories of, of watching terrible things happen in our nation. Some of my earliest memories were, were watching war on CNN, Operation Desert Storm. I remember seeing the wreckage on TV after the Oklahoma City bombing. Or even the terrifying scene of seeing students run out, running out of high school in Columbine. Fast forward a few years, we have the terrorist attacks of 9-11, the financial crisis of 2008, the intensifying social concerns and tensions that were just bubbling below the surface, coming above the surface in 2016, and then the pandemic in 2020, and everything that has rolled out over the last few years. The community of God's people in Psalm 44 are experiencing similar things, national tragedies. And, and they understood that it was God who was allowing these things to happen. Notice this theme roll out, starting in verse 9. But you have rejected us and disgraced us. Verse 10, you have made us turn back from the foe. Verse 11, you have made us like sheep for slaughter. Verse 12, you have sold your people for a trifle. And on and on it goes throughout that section of the scriptures. Verse 22, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. Now reading this, it sounds accusatory, doesn't it? Like that God, uh, God's people are blaming him for their misfortune. But listen to the insight from John Calvin, the, the reformer, the pastor, theologian. He says this, when the faithful represent God as the author of their calamities, it is not in the way of murmuring against him, 
but that they with that they may with greater confidence seek relief, as it were, from the same hand which smote and wounded them. If we would expect a remedy from God for our miseries, we must believe that they befall us not by fortune or mere chance, but that they are inflicted upon us properly by his hand. God's people have great confidence that his hand delivers suffering and can save them from their suffering. And it's in that confidence, the confidence that God will be their source of deliverance, even as he's been the source of their pain, that they can cry out to him and lament. They can cry out to him in their prayers. Which brings us to the third point. What are they asking of God? Turn to verse 23 with me. Listen to the request. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Why are you sleeping? Why have you forgotten all of these things that we've been going through? Notice the stark, the stark language that the people are using here. They're, they're telling God to wake up. But in Psalm 121, it, we're reminded that God never sleeps or slumbers. But they're accusing God of being asleep. They're asking him to wake up. Not merely complaining or, or grumbling, but as Pastor Justin reminded us last Sunday, God invites us to cry out to him in this honest way, in this, with this vulnerable language of letting God know how we truly feel. God, have you forgotten? God, have you hidden your face? Are you going to reject us forever? I remember when uh, our kids were littler, um, and in the middle of the night when something would wake them up from sleep, maybe they were not feeling well or a storm would blow through or they heard a noise in the house, without fail, they would always go to Jenny's side of the bed. We would often switch places to see if we could trick them into coming to my side of the bed so Jenny could get some sleep, and they would always go to Jenny's side. It's probably having to do with the amount of space that I take up in the bed versus the space that Jenny takes up in the bed. But nevertheless, no matter how much we tried to stay asleep, no matter how many pep talks we gave to our kids, hey, you're going to stay in bed tonight, our kids had the boldness and the courage and the confidence to wake us up. <laughs> Mom, Dad, we need you. And that's how this psalm ends. With God's people crying out, awake, rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And I could end the sermon here encouraging you, Corndale Church, that when we endure various kinds of suffering, remember God's steadfast love and cling on to his covenant promises. And it would be a true sermon, it would be a decent sermon, but it would be incomplete. Because the Bible doesn't end here. 
So I can't end my sermon here. As the story continues, we see that God answers the cries of his people. How does God answer? God answers the cries of his people by entering into time and space and history. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on human flesh and entered into our suffering. He took on the sins of of his people upon himself. So when Psalm 44 verse 11 says, you have made us like sheep for slaughter, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 prophesied about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. When Psalm 44 12 says, you have sold your people for a trifle, Matthew 26 shows us, that Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. When Psalm 44, 13 says, you have made us a taunt to our neighbors. Those watching Jesus crucified said in Mark 15, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Do you see how the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's answer to the cry of Psalm 44? By descending into suffering and death in the place of his people, God the Son has risen up in victory over his enemies and comes to the help of his people. He doesn't forget his steadfast love. He defeats Satan's sin and death and brings redemption to his people. And because he does, Psalm 44 has a whole new meaning for us. And that brings us to the final point of the sermon this morning. What does this mean for us? Well, did you know that the Apostle Paul gives us the answer? He tells us in Romans 8, where we might be familiar with his words where he says, nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. It would go good on a coffee mug. But if you turn to Romans 8 with me, let's look what he says right before that in verse 36. Romans chapter 8, verse 36. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The Apostle Paul is quoting Psalm 44. But let's zoom out and see how he reframes it in, in, the, in light of the cross of Christ. Let's go to verse 31, Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that. Who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
as it is written in Psalm 44, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's good news. Because God gave his son for us, nothing can separate us from his love. Because Christ rose from the dead and reigns over all of creation at the right hand of the Father, and because God dwells within his people through his spirit, nothing is able to separate us from him. We can read Psalm 44, verse 26, rise up, come to our help, and know with confidence that God in Christ Jesus has risen with healing and salvation for us, for his people, for his whole church. His steadfast love endures forever. Because of Christ's work, no matter what comes our way, we are more than conquerors. Cancer and death cannot separate us from the love of God. Lost relationships cannot. Inflation cannot. Global pandemics and wars cannot separate us from God's love. Lost elections or laws passed cannot separate us from God's love. Secularism and the decline of America cannot. The list can go on and on and on because God's steadfast love goes on and on and on. If I may, just a little sidebar here. If nothing can separate us from the love of God, then let's not let our differences separate us from one another. Psalm 44 and Romans 8 use communal language, us, we language. Our common unity may not be political. It may not be economical. It may not even, may not even be educational. But our common unity in Christ is greater than any of these things. It's greater than any of the ways in which we try to categorize or divide or form ourselves into tribes by social identities. Our identity in Christ is primary over all things. And that allows us to read Psalm 44 together with a new perspective. Instead of saying, why are you sleeping, O Lord? We say, thank you, God. You have not rejected us forever. You have redeemed us. You have brought all of us close to you in Christ Jesus. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we read Psalm 44 differently and we can live differently. There will be times in our lives and in our church's life when it feels like God has forgotten us, like he's given us over to our enemies, like he's made us a laughingstock we can still use the language in Psalm 44 to give voice, to give honest words to our laments and to our longings. But we must remember that Romans 8 is God's answer to Psalm 44. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we know that God has not abandoned us. And all these things the Apostle Paul says, and the ups and downs 
in the rise and fall of God's church, in people turning away from God, when church planting can't keep up with the number of churches closing, when it seems like people are trying to find salvation in politicians rather than in Jesus Christ alone. In all of these things, we are not defeated. In all of these things, we do not need to fear. Because we are more than conquerors. God's people cried out, rise up, help us, redeem us. And God has. He has risen up. He has helped us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And whoever you are today, whether you're a faithful follower of Jesus or you're a cynical rejecter of God, remember that we all can get in on this steadfast love. We can all get in on being God's people. We can get in on the salvation that Jesus Christ brings when we place our trust in him. It is in Jesus alone that we can rejoice. It's in Jesus alone that we can live in confidence and hope. May the Spirit of God stir us up in those things. Let's pray. Most holy God, we rejoice and praise you for the things that you've done. We can tell stories for days of the things that you've done in our lives and our families' lives that, that brought us here to this very moment. But Lord, we are thankful that you do not leave us at the end of Psalm 44 with unanswered prayers. That you have not forgotten us, you have not abandoned your church, but that in Christ Jesus, you've answered all of our longings and desires. You've answered all of our cries for help. So even when we find ourselves in this cultural moment, we can look up and behold you with confidence and hope that you have not abandoned us and that you have not forgotten us. Lord Jesus, may your spirit stir our hearts, stir us to look and behold you and the work that you've done rather than trying to do things on our own. Lord, Psalm 44 tells us, that, that that's not how, how things go. We look to you, we trust in you for you to work. Romans 8 shows us that Christ, you completed that work. And so we can lay our hands down, open our hands up and say, Lord Jesus, we trust in you. May that be the cry of our heart. May that be the way that we live with confidence and hope. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.